Welcome to the Spawn Chunks, episode number 151 for Monday, July 26th, 2021. My name is Johnny, and joining me, as always, is an experimental build of Joel Duggan. Hi, Joel. <laughs> Version 2.3, currently. <laughs> uh, hello. Uh, if you would like to hear a little bit more about what we think of AI voices, like uh, recorded voices and uh, text-to-speech, and deep fakes, then you should listen to the render distance, which is the extended version of the podcast. We record that extra conversation every week and you get to uh, partake. If you want to listen, you can go to patreon.com slash the spawn chunks and become a member and get access to that extra podcast content. Listen to us getting real about deep fakes. Um, my name is still Pixorifs, by the way. I realized that I omitted that from the intro. <laughs> it was I wrote it differently this time, and I was like, wait a minute. All, all I said was that my name was Johnny, but there we go. Uh, <laughs> so uh, how have you been getting on in, in Minecraft this week, Joel? How is uh, the Citadel treating you? So it's one of those weeks where I've put a lot of time in, but I've not felt like I've got a lot of work out and really, it's just because the intricacies of setting up a multi-spawner zombie drowned copper amethyst farm, like I just, I don't know what to call it yet. The, mm -hmm. the geode, <laughs> as yeah. it were, um, is, uh, is time consuming. And I keep on saying and threatening I'm going to decorate it. And then I just make little bits and, you know, progresses. And then uh, we ended up with a lot of logistics to kind of sort out. Um, the first of which was deciding how to... Uh, light the spawners to turn them on and off easily with one switch as opposed to having to run around and turn off, you know, and on like six different lights. Uh, so I did that. I ended up doing like a grid of lights in the ceiling, none of which is going to matter going forward. We'll talk about this in a little bit, but it, and in 118, my lighting technique might have to change for spawners. Um, so I was thinking about that, just thinking about how to maybe future proof it if we need to. Uh, and then uh, dealing with uh, spider spawners. Again, not that we need a spider spawner, it's just that I'm standing there and it would be nice to be able to collect string and we've got a data pack on the server that allows us to craft string into wool so mm -hmm. we use a lot of wool in the modern city to mark off areas so it's nice to have a little bit extra uh here and there um and like i said i'm standing right there with the geode and the zombie drown farm um and the rest of it was um hooking up a sorting system for the drops and here's the interesting thing that i didn't think of if you go to the the wikipedia article and look up what drowned drop it's not very much right it's it's copper it's uh, potentially tridents if you're spawning them naturally in the world. Uh, mm -hmm. And and it's uh, zombie flesh or rotten yeah. flesh. Um, however, if you are turning zombies into drowned, then whatever armor that they spawn in, they keep when they get turned. Right, so you've yeah. got leather armor. You've got gold armor. Uh, some of the zombies are potentially picking up um, glow ink sacks because of the different water things that I've got going on. So mm -hmm. they're picking up um, squid bits as they go from the spawner because the whole zombie farm is spawn is powered by the spawner. But while you're standing there, you're still adding more zombies to to the spawner uh, from the to the farm from the spawner. So I've had to kind of add a couple of different things to the to the sorting system. And then of course so I had to add um, amethyst shards i think i got that mm -hmm. right uh string and then there's the overflow chest and that is where you have like the gold and the the leather bits and stuff like that and it's unfortunate that you can't uh siphon out smeltable armor from regular armor uh regular armor still ends up going into a furnace despite the fact that it can't be smelted and i i think that it would be a really nice thing if minecraft added the ability for furnaces to be able to filter out items so you could have a bunch of smeltable things going down 
a line and then have them be pulled, you know? Yeah, it's it's weird because if you put a hopper input into a furnace, whatever item you put in there goes straight in there. Yeah. Whereas you can't like you can't manually put stuff. I, I think maybe you can if you click it in from your inventory, but you can't shift click it in there. So no. the game still innately understands or is coded to understand that you know you can't on you know fr- from your inventory you can't shift click a a chest plate made of leather into a furnace but yeah it, it overlooks that for the purposes of some of the other mechanics which yeah i agree is is kind of frustrating would be a really good way to sort things out if it wasn't for the fact that the hoppers will just deposit them no matter what yeah so and beyond that we've just been messing around with trying to get the mechanics right and uh dealing with some hiccups that are they're not the end of the world things like i've got the water column for the spiders has to be right next to the collection place, which means that there's hoppers at the top of the water column. So the spiders get caught sometimes in the lip of the hoppers and they hang out there for five minutes. It's not the end of the world. It's one or two spiders out of the dozens that are coming through this, the, yeah. the spawner. Uh, I don't need them. It's just the kind of thing that makes my eye twitch as a redstone designer. <laughs> yeah, yeah, like, yeah. I wish that I had the room and I could do it. I could move it. But then instead of two blocks between the zombie um collection area and the spider collection area there would be one block and i just i Mm -hmm. don't like that claustrophobic feeling in my builds so we're gonna sacrifice and just have to listen to the spiders honestly the drowned are so loud that i'm probably gonna have to have mob spawn mob sounds off when i'm at the farm anyway yeah Um, i found myself shouting over them on the stream (laughs) (laughs) on the weekend they're just so like all the (laughs) it's so loud when there's 25 or 30 of them in front of you um the zombie spawner is kicking out things hard uh i fixed a couple of the issues with the 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 um pileups all i did was add an extra piece of chain to get the zombies closer to the golems and it seems like as soon as they see the golems they all want to get into the water stream. So there is mm-hmm. still a traffic jam, but at least they're all traveling in the same direction. It's just yeah. now, a, it's more of a bottleneck now, whereas before I would have one or two zombies going the exact opposite way uh, of the other guys. And that was causing a problem. So I think we might actually be able to expand, add another eight golems and another water canal and like really turn this into something that uh, uh, pumps out a lot of, a lot of drowned. Um, mm-hmm. I think I have... I certainly have enough copper that the filter is working. So I've got 41 plus copper ingots. Uh, yeah. And I've not been standing there and smacking these guys. I've This is just from when it's on. We've been building and then we walk by, you kill a handful of them, you get a couple of ingots and then you move on. Um, mm-hmm. But I like the area so far. All the redstone and waterways are visible. I like having that kind of stuff visible in these farms. They're buried underground anyway. It's more fun to kind of see your items fly around. Uh, decorating with amethyst is challenging. Um, I like I, found... I like the color scheme you've got starting though you've got like some purple concrete and glass in there with the amethyst blocks and I can see the the geode there in the background it it kind of lends an interesting atmosphere to it I'd almost be inclined to keep more of the decor gray even if you clean it up from being natural stone into something else I feel like that gray purple palette works quite well thanks yeah I, there's there's some darker stones up in the zombie farm uh and so i'm trying to bring that down and the purple works really well with the amethyst of course uh i've been struggling to find i didn't think purple worked all that well i thought it was a little bit too pink like it just wasn't quite the right tone um i do want to have some darker accents i like the stone but then the you struggle with like the stone in the ceiling and the walls and the floor like i need to kind yeah. of switch it up somewhere uh, mm-hmm. the lights in the floor are temporary i'm not sure how i'm going to light everything 
because um, I've found that I want to use, I want some sort of blue light, but sea lanterns just don't, they're still too bright. Like they're still too white a lot of the time. Yeah. Um, so I'm struggling to find some blue light without dropping to um, uh, soul fire lanterns. And lanterns don't really work the same way that I'd want. Like I want a clean light block, you know, like a yeah. clean looking light source. So I might have to go to um, like Enrods or something. I'm not really sure. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, Amethyst, I find very busy. However, a trick that I've been using in our nether builds, if you put purple glass over amethyst, it dulls it just a little bit and it's a little bit less high contrast and it yeah, really yeah. it really looks nice. You kind of get that slight fog effect that you get from multiple layers of glass, but just yeah. for the one and to just kind of one. mute the texture. Yep. That's that's good. Yeah. That that works that works pretty well. Um speaking of amethyst geodes, I have been back in RTX uh this week because nice. my uh my next four RTX videos are back being sponsored by NVIDIA and they've actually loaned me a laptop with an RTX 3060 card and so I upgraded my world to um, to 1.17 on this laptop and immediately went out further than I'd been before looking for 1.17 stuff and one of the first things I wanted to look for was a geode and then it turned out that the texture pack I use does not make amethyst crystals glow by default. Uh, so I have to install like an extra add-on for that to happen. But I found the geode lit it in a kind of atmospheric ways for a couple of screenshots. And I will probably be back there at some point. But I'm noticing a few interesting things about 1.17 stuff based on RTX, but not necessarily working the same way as they do in vanilla and this is a problem that i've noticed before with things like jack-o'-lanterns where for the realism of rtx the glowing face of a jack-o'-lantern is just the front and while they might provide all around you know omnidirectional ambient lighting in regular graphics with rtx on you only see the light emitting from the front um the same i'm finding is true of glow lichen because there are only individual pixels of it that have been made to glow in the texture pack that I use. And resource packs here are fairly important to the way these RTX blocks look compared to how they actually behave. Behind the scenes, it's still giving you light level 7, but in terms of the individual textures glowing to give you enough light to see by or to illuminate other objects in the scene, there has to be quite a substantial amount of light coming from it before you can do that. Um, which is why torches work differently, which is why sea lanterns are probably the best light source or lava, um, because the entire texture is made out of, you know, emissive pixels. Um, and so, yeah, I, I was playing around with a bit of this stuff. A lot of it looks very different, and I'm looking into exactly how all of the, um, you know, all of the different textures are going to look based on rtx visuals but i'm most looking forward to looking to working with copper because copper is going to be a reflective block like uh, you know iron and gold and all of the other resource blocks basically are and i think that's going to provide some really neat visuals for maybe a slightly more steampunky themed build or just something where the copper can really shine no pun intended uh in in a build like that i remember uh really being struck by how some of the the new content looks in rtx uh the the geode i thought was particularly interesting um just, like it's it's such a deeper color you know yeah like it does it, it's not and also the texture of it too like the little um what do they call that not surface noise it's um bump mapping 
on yeah. on the surface of of the amethyst. That's the first thing I noticed was like, oh wow, like that is not a flat block at all. Yeah. Uh, really, really interesting stuff. I didn't see. Are the models of the? I don't remember. Are the models of the crystals of the clusters? Are they still like the flat? Um, yeah, yeah. They they it doesn't thing. add anything in terms of like a three D element to. Right. Uh, stuff like sugarcane and so forth like right. that i think it is still probably possible to do that with some resource packs the resource pack i use kelly's rtx uh doesn't um but yeah i i think what i noticed in glow lichen is also the same with glow berries because glow berries i i find really useful as a light source now they're mm-hmm. organic they're fairly easy to acquire and you know once you've got them you can basically farm them and then they provide light level 15 if you're growing them more than one block up from the bottom of the vine. Whereas in RTX, they are actually a little bit dimmer because there's only like a couple of fruit that actually emit light in the texture. So I, I think there's there's a little bit more to be played with there. But there's there's definitely some cool stuff to, to mess around with now in that world. And um, it's running really smoothly on this laptop, which I'm, I'm pretty impressed by. It's only at 1080p, whereas my big kind of pc rig is designed for 4k but um yeah it's it's a a neat way of exploring some of this content for for rtx i've never given a whole lot of thought to a gaming laptop but that's basically just because of me being working from home forever yeah Uh, Mm -hmm. i had a laptop when i first started working from home only because uh i think at that point i was still bopping back and forth between studios and so like I might get hired to go work at a studio for six months. And so having my own laptop made that a lot easier. Um, whereas once I was able to move to a desktop and I didn't have to leave the house, uh, it made more sense to invest in something that had um, more power. And mm-hmm. depending on where you're getting your desktop, sometimes your desktop, you, you pay for the mobility. Like a lot of times in a laptop, sometimes they're more expensive because they're mobile, because everything in them has to be so small and precise. Yeah. Um, but gaming laptops, man, I see them all over the place now. And uh, I mean, they like one of the nice things for me, I know, and, and probably for you as well, being you know like a video professional, is that when you get something or or have access to something like a gaming laptop, you can also use it for video editing or art or design or things. And it usually has the chops to keep up with those kind of programs as well. Yeah, um, yeah. I uh, I I know that like it's just sort of such a specific case, but there's a lot of people out there that prefer laptops for gaming just because they want to be able to like not be at a desk, you know, like maybe yeah. they want to be at the table. Maybe they want to be on a couch. Maybe they want to be, I mean, I can't say, you know, recommended uh, gaming in bed for hours, but you know, like, I guess, <laughs> you know, I get, well, I mean, in, in some ways I guess it could depend on accessibility too. Like if you, if you've broken your leg and you want a game, but you've, you're holed up in bed, then I mean, a laptop would be great. Yeah, definitely. And it's, it's not even a piece of kit that I've necessarily considered and this laptop has just been really great. The one problem I have with it, of course, is the trackpad, <laughs> and yeah. I've had to uh, switch back and forth with uh, with a mouse to really be able to play it. Uh, but the, you know, in terms of all of the other controls, it's it's a pretty functional piece of kit. Um, and uh, yeah, I won't say any more in case people think this is also sponsored. It's not, but <laughs> I, uh, yeah, I, I just like seeing where stuff can go, and the fact that that kind of that that sort of technology. I've gone from seeing it in beta to now being so portable is is really mm. quite cool. Um, the other stuff I've been doing this week back in Java Edition is finally building a more automated copper aging setup on Empire's SMP. I talked about this a few episodes back, but I'm now at the point where I have enough resources that I can finally build it. 
and the idea is to load up a flying machine with a row of nine copper blocks, which is about the most it can push with all of the other components of the flying machine factored in. And then it sends them across the room where individual redstone modules pull them into position four blocks apart so that it can age most efficiently. And I've only built about a third of what I plan on building, which is going to be a full room, basically like a basement room in my desert city, full of these individual redstone circuits which will store copper blocks until they're fully aged and I think for now I'm going to retrieve them manually because I've had a couple of people suggesting different circuits for observing you know whether through an observer or, or, or whatever other system the aging process of the copper blocks so it like counts the amount of times that it uh, transitions block state and then would eject it once it got fully aged but I don't think I can compact them easily enough to fit into this space. And I'm, I'm going to be working on that, but I'm not entirely certain that I can get it to work right now. Uh, the, the one thing I had in mind using a cauldron and uh, like water bottles to adjust the level of the cauldron, which affects the output of a comparator, can only be done manually. It can't be done automatically through dispensers. So that was my what one of my other thoughts I had was unfortunately dashed. But eventually I'm going to have this room where I can age maybe 150 or so blocks at a time just by loading them into you know strips of nine at the entrance and then sending them off into the room to be sorted automatically it's going to save me so much time counting blocks and placing and making sure that everything is spaced out the way it should be and i think it's just a fun application of redstone i don't do much redstone systems stuff like this frequently enough so i, I think it's a a good opportunity to stretch my legs on a technical project that I don't think is super necessary, but it's still really fun to do. And it looks cool. Like it's just yeah, the, the yeah. honey blocks that are involved in the redstone, and then there's honeycomb blocks that are just used for the solid blocks for the for the redstone signal and stuff like that. So it all kind of looks really nice. And, and you've got the, uh, the rare use of the magenta glazed terracotta. Yes, yeah, for the arrows. I, I just thought, yeah. you know, that, that those are the tracks that the flying machine basically glides over to deliver all of the copper blocks and i thought you know yeah. yeah make it look kind of technological um i've got some some light blue terracotta in there as well which i think actually goes quite well with the magenta and i'm building a color palette that's kind of garish but this is also a build that has you know slime and honeycomb and a bunch of other stuff in there i wanted it to look kind of like weird advanced alien technology in a way it's sort of like a vibe i'm trying to put into this this desert town and yeah why why shouldn't it be uh, be super colorful and finally getting to use something that you know the magenta terracotta made sense with is is quite satisfying nice yeah i mean i did that with the um, the redstone behind the um the sorting system which i tried to make something unique but like ultimately sometimes you just have to do this the bone standard you know impulse sv storage system mm -hmm. um, but what yeah. i did was i used a deep slate carved deep slate and basalt for the actual redstone blocks to be like for the redstone to be placed on just because i didn't cover it up i left like a big purple glass window so you can look behind the storage system and see the redstone i just i like seeing that kind of stuff sometimes uh, depending on the build and i like i like seeing this i'm hoping that when you're finished it it's something that you can either walk over or walk by and just look and it's like why is there a mainframe <laughs> under yeah, the desert yeah, yeah, yeah. like i love that kind of look the brain of the whole yeah. kind of area is exposed and i i do i do want to make a glass floor over it mostly if i'm still retrieving all the blocks manually i need to be able to see when they've aged to like full oxidation 
Um, so I'm going to probably have either some sort of viewing window into the place or just a glass floor that I can walk over the top of it, provided that the slime blocks and the honey blocks don't just pull the floor around underneath you. Right. I mean, how do you... How is the how is the blocks being placed? Like, is the flying machine placing the blocks? Yeah, the when it when the flying machine pushes the blocks over the observers, a sticky piston basically pulls a copper block out of the row of blocks that's being pushed by the flying machine. Oh, so, gotcha. Kind of think of it like an X wing almost. It's got like two kind of forward facing prongs of copper blocks. Uh, right. and with this kind of flying machine engine in the center and right. so yeah the flying machine is carrying them on either side and they can be pulled out of that line without really affecting the progress of the flying machine and all it needs is a little bit of redstone timing a circuit that will then effectively it disables the observer from updating the circuit anymore once there's a block in there by pulling the sticky piston out of the way using a honey block on top of it and so, right. yeah, it, it's it's a, a circuit that I devised a while ago, just trying to puzzle my way through. How do I allow a flying machine to deliver one block to this thing and then not mess with the circuit anymore until it's ready? Um, but then I have a retrieval mechanism that I just have to pull a lever and everything kind of slots back into place. And then the flying machine comes back over. So, nice. yeah sooner or later it'll be a, a working model that i can show people but for now i'm just kind of tinkering with it behind the scenes and will eventually decorate this whole area to look a lot more industrial feeling i think nice yeah uh yeah I, that, that kind of stuff is really cool it's always nice to see like the the progress of of new blocks and new techniques to try and like make our lives easier with things like copper or well, moss blocks, like what I did on the Citadel a couple of weeks yeah. ago, you know, just like, mm -hmm. just, I, I like the innovation and uh, sense of accomplishment. Cause you and I do the same thing. Uh, I didn't design the farm. I got it from El Mango, but I made it look cool so that I put my own spin on it and I downsized mm -hmm. it for the Citadel. And then you do a lot of the time, um, as you've expressed on the show where you, you try to puzzle through it before you go look up, you know, what design. Yeah. You know, because yeah. I'm sure someone else has done this, but it's more fun to try to figure out how to do it on your own. Absolutely, yeah. Like, I, I'm fully committed to the idea that no ideas in Minecraft are going to be original anymore. Like, somebody has already <laughs> yeah. done it several snapshots ago at this point. But I just wanted to make it part of, like, not, not like, necessarily part of the story of this desert town I'm trying to build, but, like, almost part of my, my mission here is to do something you know from my own brain make it a little bit different maybe not the most efficient way of doing things because i'm sure people will have optimized stuff like this a while ago but again i think it just looks cool and seeing something like this functioning the way it does is uh, is always kind of rewarding the other thing that i did this week was uh, i spent a lot of time in the uh, experimental snapshot uh, but i mm -hmm. might be able to save those those thoughts until we get into the news discussion Yes, yeah, definitely. I think it's uh, going to be worth having a, a little mini discussion before we get into the chunk mail. So uh, let's get right into the news, actually. Uh, we had a 1.18 Experimental Snapshot 2 released for Java Edition this week. We'll have a link to the Minecraft.net article on the show notes. But note, this takes you to the same Minecraft.net article as Experimental Snapshot 1 from last week. So if you load it up and the page looks familiar... Don't worry, scroll down, you'll find a new changelog and an updated download link. Uh, this was released last Wednesday, I believe. So yeah, yes. it, it's it's a uh, a relatively uh, recent one, but we've had some time to 
get used to the changes. The changes compared to Experimental Snapshot 1 are that biome placement is a bit smoother and less noisy. There are fewer microbiomes dotting the terrain. The biomes tend to be a bit larger and less fragmented. Cloud height has been raised from 128 to Y192. Uh, mountains, as they currently exist in terrain generation, the old mountains biome, have been renamed back to extreme hills. Gravelly mountains have been renamed to gravelly hills. This is to reduce the risk of people getting confused when they use the locate biome commands to find the new mountains and ended up in the old mountains. This snapshot boasts beachier beaches, where the beaches are generally wider, but also in some places there are no beaches at all to provide some variation. Sheep now spawn in meadows, there are also more rabbits and fewer donkeys. Blue orchids no longer spawn in meadows because this was a plant unique to swamps and they wanted to keep them unique to swamps. Speaking of swamps, they now generate properly and they were generating in weird places before in uh, Experimental Snapshot 1, so apparently swamps are happier now. They've also re-added some biomes that were missing in the previous generation, such as ice spikes and eroded badlands. Underground biomes are interfering less with the surface. They can still leak out of cave entrances sometimes, though, because the team thought they looked quite cool. They've increased the height of some mountain peaks. They can now reach between Y220 to 260, but rarely. They've slightly increased the chance of finding large areas with flat terrain in response to some people's reactions that Experimental Snapshot 1 was very hilly. Meadows will now spawn a lone tree, often with a bee nest. Monsters will now spawn in mountain biomes. We previously had uh, meadows and other mountain biomes not having any mob spawns, uh, hostile mob spawns at all. Emeralds and infested stone are now generating properly in the new mountain biomes. They've made ore veins slightly larger and more frequent since few people seem to actually find them in survival. Structures now show up in mostly the right biomes. And they've toned down mega cave entrances a little bit, making them less likely to go all the way down to deep slate level since getting to diamond zones were just a bit too easy. Cheese caves have also been made a little bit smaller on average, but they can still be pretty huge. They're also a bit less likely to intersect the surface. They've reduced the, the chances of sand and gravel being placed in such a way that they immediately fall down on generation, replacing them with sandstone or stone in those cases, since falling blocks were messing up the terrain and causing a few performance issues. It can still happen, just not as often. Zombies, skeleton spider, and cave spider spawners now spawn mobs up to block light level 11. Although the mobs spawning in complete darkness did not affect the difficulty and vanilla spawners, we recognize that these spawners haven't been a real challenge for a while now. We hope this change will make conquering the spawner more exciting and challenging. Spawners have a new custom spawn rules tag, which lets you override the spawn rules of the spawned mob. In the tag, you can specify block light limit, which indicates the highest block light the spawners will spawn mobs at. This change is to enable map makers to use spawners in a more customizable manner to spawn mobs at any light level they choose. Known issues with experimental snapshot number two, opening a world from experimental snapshot number one causes an error, so you need to create a new world for the snapshot. Low performance, uh, we are working on performance optimization for the normal snapshots coming later. Uh, nether terrain is messed up. <laughs> I think we all knew that. Mm -hmm. uh, end pillars don't generate, however they do generate when you respawn the dragon. Red sand is hard to obtain because badlands mostly generate on plateaus and aquifers sometimes break coastlines in an ugly way. 
the other bit of news we have this week is that there was a Minecraft Dungeons Diaries Echoing Void DLC on the Minecraft YouTube channel. Uh, to uh, read the description there, the end justifies the means, especially if the end contains three new missions and a bunch of loot. Join David, Christian, Danielle, and George as they delve into the upcoming Echoing Void DLC and the otherworldly challenges that await you in the other side of the end portal. Uh, it's a short eight-minute video giving some insight from Mojang and developing partner 011 on the process and the uh, thoughts that went into designing the Echoing Void DLC. If you're excited about this coming up uh, on Wednesday, uh, then I would check out the video. It's actually pretty pretty cool to see. Yeah, I'm hoping to find the time to hop back into Minecraft Dungeons this week, probably just to tidy up some of the stuff I wasn't able to do in the last DLC, the uh, the Ocean DLC. But I, I'm really looking forward to the end. I think that's going to be a, a really fun way to wrap up the story arc of Minecraft Dungeons. We've talked about it in the last couple of shows, but everything they're doing visually with the end looks really exciting. Uh, there's a couple of other small articles on Minecraft.net about the, the Dungeons uh, DLC, which include the names of some of the, I think they're called Enderlings as a group, these sort of variant Endermen that we've seen designed for Minecraft Dungeons specifically. And uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing what they're capable of when the DLC comes out on Wednesday. Yeah, they don't say a lot in terms of specifics in the video. And I think on purpose, they probably don't want to spoil anything uh, mm -hmm. where it's the wrap up of the Arch Illager storyline. Um, but if you if you want to see some visual cues, then just listening to the voiceover while they throw some B-roll up there, it's actually pretty cool. Uh, don't watch it if you don't like silverfish. Uh, <laughs> uh, but then then the level that, that they're traversing during that point actually looks like it is a Minecraft Dungeons version of a stronghold, yeah. uh, which looks really cool because uh, the way that they describe it is that one of the things they wanted to do was try to have it look like the end is like spilling out of uh, the end portal and kind of taking over the overworld at the location on, on the planet where, you know, the portal is, um, mm -hmm. I've seen it happen. I've seen it designed in Minecraft a number of times where people will take the, the nether portal and make it look like the nether is like creeping out into the world. Yeah. And, uh, they've, looks like they've done that in, in the, um, the DLC. Um, I, I need to, I watched it this morning and I was still kind of bleary eyed and drinking my second cup of coffee. So I need to go back and, and look, but I really like the textures. I like that it's, it's, um, familiar to Minecraft players and it feels like the end, but then it's not just all cheese stone. Like it really, yeah. it, it doesn't, it doesn't just look like vanilla Minecraft, which can, can honestly, like, I'm glad it doesn't. Um, yeah, and I, 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 I can't imagine them setting, an end DLC in the end that we have in vanilla Minecraft no, exactly. right now. I feel like yeah. the only the only interesting things about it are end cities and occasional chorus plants. From a level design perspective, the last segment where they talk about the Gauntlet of Gales uh, and how it originally started as a much smaller section of a larger level, but it was so well received that they decided to scrap that and turn it into an entire level on its own. And in the process of talking about that, they also show some behind the scenes kind of like 3D model chunks of the levels. Like you mm -hmm. see the little, little segments that are then generated together later. And I thought it was a really cool insight as to how the the game developers and the level designers kind of basically put these together like 
like jigsaw puzzles mm-hmm. um it was really really interesting to see and and kind of a feather in the cap for the designer i think it was um she seemed pretty excited to, that her little bit of a level was in like nope we're gonna scrap that but we're gonna turn it into its own level like it just it yeah. seemed like a really kind of a fun career moment for her which was really cool yeah that's great i, th- I think any, anything that any insight we get into the development process of games like this is always really fascinating to me. But yeah, I think it's it's really cool that they uh, they shared that with the the dungeons fan base. Um, so let's get into experimental snapshot two. Um, it made a weird first impression on me, I've got to say, but that was entirely by accident because of the world seed. Uh, I immediately got the uh, the the impression that they had fixed swamps because I spawned in a long, very flat swamp surrounded by ocean. So my world seed started off incredibly flat. And so my first thought was, oh, okay, they've kind of rolled back all of the stuff that they've done to change hills. And that was kind of further reinforced by once I got further in and got towards some of the more mountainous terrain, it looked very cuboid and almost chunk error looking in places. The terrain generation was kind of like very blocky. And I thought, okay, this is looking a bit more like you know, a shattered savannah might do, but a very squared off one. And so I wasn't sure what was going on there. Then I later loaded up the same world seed in Experimental Snapshot 1 and ended up getting the same results. <laughs> so this wasn't a fault of Snapshot 2 at all. It was rather an issue with how that world seed functioned in general. And so I ended up loading five or six different uh, Experimental Snapshot 2 worlds, copying the world seeds and then running them in Experimental Snapshot 1 as well and doing side-by-side comparisons which i've got a video of on my youtube channel that i'll i'll link for folks in the the show notes this week but it's um yeah there, there are several world seeds there and i think despite the fact that i was flying around manually so i can't show exactly the same terrain at the same time uh it proved to me that es2 uh as i'll call it for short uh is not gonna diminish any of the impressive terrain from ES1 is just smoothed some of it out in terms of biomes, in terms of the amount of cave carvers that would intersect with the surface and that kind of broken up plains biome terrain that you were getting occasionally where there'd be a sudden like slice in the terrain and, you know, an, an aquifer or a river or something would abruptly interrupt the terrain. That stuff has started to smooth out a little bit more. Some of the biomes have been tidied up and a lot of the features that I thought were more impressive, like taller mountains or some of the basins where a lush cave would open up onto the surface, have intentionally been kept there so that you will run into some really impressive stuff as you travel around. And it it sometimes changes shape a little bit and the biomes around it are slightly different and interact with it in different ways, but it does still seem to be like as out there as the generation in snapshot one did you get the same impression yeah i i set out on a new world on wednesday uh with the mission to only spend 30 maybe 40 minutes traveling around looking for a place to settle and then <laughs> how'd and that then work play. out for you yeah well 90 minutes later uh we finally decided on a spot but i'm glad we waited because it was quite a spot um but in that process we were uh we decided and as luck would have it we ended up in a in a part of the world that had a lot of water so we really couldn't find a lot because it was like it's a taiga biome and then it's ocean and then it's ocean and then it's ocean and then there's a mountain it's like well not a mountain but like then it's a a, a, a more extreme uh topographical you know situation you're just like well 
this isn't all that interesting because we've got water on three sides. So we got in a boat and uh, started traveling around. And the first thing I noticed was their, um, the beaches, like the, the, the stony shores and some of the beaches, they looked nicer. Um, I really enjoy the rocky cliffs or the, what are they called? Rocky shores? Stone shore, um, yeah. Stone shores. Uh, we're, I'm not talking extreme. I'm talking like six, eight blocks tall. But mm-hmm. there's only maybe one or two blocks of, of horizontal grade before it goes straight down to the ocean. And yeah. when you're traveling around in the boat, it really feels like a lot of the coastline in my home province. Like it really yeah. feels like things that I've seen on hikes where like it's not thousands of feet to the ocean floor, but it's still 20, you know, uh, and and it's it really does feel uh, a lot more natural and uh, it looked great. Um, it wasn't an interesting biome per se, like it was just a taiga biome, but it still looked really natural and it felt like an ocean rather than just everything always going slowly down slope to a beach. Just, it, it, it really was a lot nicer. I didn't notice a lot of beaches, but I wasn't necessarily looking for them. I found myself scanning the vertical horizon rather than the, the, the you know, the the beach lines, you know, like I was looking more yeah. up than I was down. Yeah, um, I... I, I'm not sure how I feel about the changes to beaches because I was looking at that a little bit more closely and I like the idea of larger beaches, like the, the screenshots that Henrik was posting on Twitter. Um, I think they're just too infrequent now, to be honest. Like I, right. I found more stone shore was generating and more areas where there were a couple of forest biomes that just went down naturally to the ocean and had no sand whatsoever, but the, the there wasn't like a, a patch of stone next to it. It was just the biome ran down into the sea. And I found sand way less than I normally would on a current world. And I, I don't think that's like necessarily going to impact gameplay although i expect some people would probably find a bunch of sand that they turn into glass for windows for their starter houses or whatever you you know until you find a desert sometimes beaches are useful supplies of sand but i i think i just wasn't finding them frequently enough and again that could have been a fluke of the world seeds that i explored but i think beaches seemed almost too infrequent to me i yeah i didn't see them very often the 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 thing that i did notice was uh the and this could have just been the seed but the amount of times that we could travel down a river and not have to stop and get out of the boat Mm -hmm. like we went Mm -hmm. to the next large body of water a couple of times uh which made traveling across land quote unquote a lot easier so you're like i've already been here but i want to get out of the boat i don't want to travel all across this thing again it's like i'll just follow this river and see where it goes sure enough i mean now i got turned around because <laughs> i was like wait a minute i had all the land was always on my right so i knew what direction was going now i went down this river and i am turned around mm-hmm. um so that kind of stuff was interesting but eventually uh we ended up in a really cool plains biome and it it was bordered by uh ice spikes on the mountain uh there was mountain on like two different sides uh and then uh on the south side over the hill there was a desert village a desert badlands and a exposed cave spider spawner then to the east was a jungle a bamboo forest and then on the banks of the east mountain was a flower forest and then both the ice spikes and the flower forest each had a um ruined nether portal on them the one on the ice bikes was huge it's the biggest Mm -hmm. abandoned nether portal i've ever seen uh so like it really was a great place where it sounded silly to say like we're going to live 
in a plains biome, but only because the plains biome is bordered by six different <laughs> kinds of cool things to look at. And yeah. that's something that I've noticed is like, you think, yeah, cool. That's a really cool mountain. And then when you're up on top of it, you're like, crap, I can't see it anymore. <laughs> so yeah. I feel like a lot of times people are going to be building next to these things, not necessarily on them per se. Yeah, um, so you can appreciate the landscape a little better by yeah. looking looking at it from the side instead of from the top. Top down, yeah. So so that was that was pretty pretty interesting. Now, when I get into the gameplay, this is where I, I started to find things broke down for me. Um I did notice that underground caves were like harder to find and there wasn't as many extreme cave entrances uh in terms of being exposed to the air. But the caves that I did find boy did i find them vertical like i'm talking mm -hmm. 50 blocks straight down like there's it was it was a water bucket or you're just not doing it and at first you're like oh wow that's cool and really deep and really dangerous and then like the third and fourth time you find one you're just kind of like i just i just want to go down like i just want to yeah. be able to get down and i had an experience in the first snapshot where i walked into a lush cave that had exposed to the surface and yes, it took a little bit of staircase to get down. But once I was on the on the bottom of it, I could gradually work my way down through the different caverns down to like Y level zero without even digging anything. And I I have to say, again, it could be just the seed, but I found a lot of vertical stuff. Uh, mm -hmm. it, it got to the point where, and I don't want to sound like the kid that has a brand new toy that's bored with it already, but... I would look at a rolling hillside and be like, wow, this looks really cool. Let's see what this leads into, right? So you go up and you think you're going to go from the, the the rolling hill that you're on to the next rolling hill that looks to be maybe 10 or 12 blocks tire, uh, higher. But in between them is a 25 block Grand Canyon that you couldn't yeah. see until you're yeah. on top of it. Uh -huh. And that happened more often than not. Now, is it more challenging? Yes. Um, does it involve a lot? No, not really, because the landscape is generally gradual enough that you can sort of find your way down without taking too much damage. But either because I was streaming or because I just don't like this way of traversing the terrain, I got real tired of jumping up blocks. Like, you, yeah. just, you feel like a rabbit. You're just like down, 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 down. And then you're like up, 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 up. I have traveled six blocks horizontally and 100 blocks vertically in the last, yeah. you know, and it, it becomes really tedious when it happens all the time. I felt like every hill biome that we ran across had these giant crevasses in between them. And it really, again, it's not hard. If I had an enderpearl or elytra, it wouldn't even bother me. But at that stage in the early exploration, you just like, I, I found that, <laughs> that mental kind of like, uh, <laughs> like I have to go down and up this thing again. Like, didn't I just yeah. do this? And so I did find it kind of repetitive. Uh, when it came to the caves, though, I was I got frustrated, and I'm a patient person. I'm a patient Minecraft player, and I don't know how many times I died on stream, but it was enough to get frustrated with losing all my items. Because when you die at the bottom of these big, deep, dark caves that span so wide that you can't see what's shooting at you, uh, you have no desire to go back and find yeah. your gear because uh -huh. you can't see it. Like you don't know where it is, um, and. Uh, I find that, you know, you're traveling down a water column. That's fine until a skeleton on a ledge shoots you out of the water column and you die from the fall. Like yeah. it's just it. And I was able to find either through luck from a village or through uh, exposed iron in experimental snapshot one uh, enough iron to gear up to go into those places. I did not find enough iron in any of the places uh, that I was looking on experimental snapshot two. Uh, I was looking in caves. I had a big mountain next to me. I was trying to explore and explore the world and try to do the things that I felt 
Mojang was probably encouraging us to do. And I just could not get enough gear to feel protected. Uh, Mm -hmm. I found some and it's in the deep, dark caves. But then you've got this gate situation where like you need to have enough gear to go in there. But then the iron that you need for the gear is also in there. And so I just found it very, very frustrating. Now, what I did not do was dig straight down into a staircase on purpose. Uh, yeah. I could have played Minecraft the same way that people have been playing Minecraft for years. I didn't want to do that. I tried to do mm-hmm. something different. Um, I was trying to explore via cave. Uh, however, I, as some feedback, like if that's the kind of experience, I mean, people are going to do that for 30 minutes and then they'll be like, screw this and make an iron farm. I yeah. don't necessarily think that's what Mojang wants them to do, but I'm calling it now. That's probably what's going to happen unless you can make iron just a little bit more accessible or have those caves that wind down to Y level zero where iron starts to be a little bit more um, more plentiful, have them be something that's a lot more accessible from a gradual standpoint. Uh, it would be a lot easier to travel down a large cave network that's dangerous a little bit at a time rather than dropping yourself into a 100 by 100 by 50 vertical like pit of death <laughs> yeah <laughs> you yeah you, you want something that's not just like a shortcut and in the changelog it does say they've made some attempts to prevent mega caves going all the way down to deep slate level but i was still finding them i mean it's it's not like they've gone away entirely but uh yeah there are definitely somewhere you you can look all the way down into a lava lake that's at like you know below where the world would end in current generation <laughs> and and so yeah i i agree it, it does seem a little bit frustrating especially if you're you know you're drawn to those caves just by virtue of the fact that they look so cool in the first place and so that's the area you want to explore rather than just going into you know a five block wide cave entrance on the surface that looks like it might be a dead end after a few blocks you want to go to one of those places that seems like a much more epic entrance to a cave but then of course it's one of the epic entrance to the caves that just delves really deep into the ground or is a ravine and you know getting down there is a lot harder if you don't have at the very least like you said a water bucket to break your fall or something yeah and and i also want to you know point out that i was playing the snapshot to explore i wasn't setting up a new permanent world that i was going to spend yeah. next year in so I wasn't necessarily taking the time to, um, other than getting food and some fuel sorted out, uh, I really wasn't taking a lot of time to like gear up leather armor. I didn't see that many cows. I'm not sure if that's anecdotal, but like, I think I maybe saw one, mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, because I ended up, I ended up in between streams. I ended up having to kill a patrol and I ended up with, um, bad omen. I didn't want to go to the village and start a raid and spend the whole stream fighting off waves of illagers. So we went looking for a cow and eventually found one on a mountain somewhere to get a drink of milk. But like it just, it, it, you know, I, I didn't take the time to get leather armor, which probably could have helped. Um, cause I just, I wanted to explore and I kind of, I don't want to discount the fact that I was not treating it like a permanent world, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, having looked around a little bit, I don't know if you've run into anything that you could say was definitely 
a new mountain, like a complete mountain with a, a peak biome or anything. You've got a bunch of fairly s- steep hills in the screenshots that you've you've dropped in here, but I don't know if you've really found anything that's like a lofty peak with the kind of full snow blocks or not. No, no, I hadn't. I didn't see one of those. We did in the first snapshot, but I didn't teleport around in this one because I wanted to try and play survival. Uh, at the end of the first stream, we teleported around looking for biomes, but no, this this one, we didn't find anything. So I had a, I managed to get a really good side-by-side comparison of a mountain biome in Snapshot 1 versus Snapshot 2, and I made that the thumbnail of my uh, YouTube video on the subject, and the peaks are much better. I think they are they are vastly improved over Snapshot 1, they are higher, they look more impressive, and th- this kind of, you know, makes them stand out compared to what I was worried about with last week's Snapshot, where they sort of blended into the new terrain height too easily. Whereas now, um, I'm going to drop the, the thumbnail for that video in the live chat so that folks can see it, there is a fairly distinct difference between the snapshot one landscape and the snapshot two landscape there is probably another 50 or 60 blocks worth of mountain on top of the hill that was already there so it 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 is quite clearly you know delineating itself and absolutely flooding the countryside around it from what seems like a single water source Uh, so it's it's kind of hilarious how much the water sources can look like they multiply as they're running down the mountainsides but yeah i i think that's a um that's a, a good example of how extreme the mountains can get now, and in a good way. They do; mm-hmm. they really do look like the kind of thing that, yeah, you'd want to set up uh, a house at the base of a mountain so you could look out the window at that every morning versus it just being, like, the occasional mountain peak amongst these other, like, slightly taller than average hills. Um, the only other thing I wanted to say about the snapshot before we move on to chunk mail was about these um, spawner light level changes, because I think that's one of the things that since... A lot of people received the changes to light levels really well. There was a bit of feedback that it makes spawners less of a challenge, or that that spawners should be more of a challenge than they were currently. The way Mojang has interpreted that for now is to change the maximum light level of mobs that can appear from spawners to 11, and so that actually makes spawners harder to deal with than they are in current world generation. Um, It seemed really cool to me in theory... And now, having interacted with a little bit, I'm not so keen on it. I think if the idea is to make spawners more challenging, there are ways we can do that. And I'm looking forward to what they maybe, you know, revisit this idea in future. At least we know that, you know, the idea of making dungeons more challenging is on Mojang's radar. But ultimately, what it amounts to is us just spamming more torches. It almost seems like a counterintuitive move when the change to light level zero basically amounted to us using fewer torches to to spawn proof an area now spawners you know you can place a torch every other block it seems like and you're still going to get some stuff spawning in there because it will spawn you know diagonally a block up from where you've placed a torch and that's still like a low enough light level because of the way light decays diagonally um so I don't think that's necessarily the solution we wanted to making spawner dungeons more interesting. Um, I can imagine them maybe implementing a couple of, you know, better ways of doing that. But for now, like I said, it's it's good to know that the idea is at least being floated out there. And the best thing to come out of it for me is there being a custom spawn rules tag, which is going to, you know, give map makers and, and people who mess around with this stuff, who tweak the, the, the natural rules of the game, 
a bit more control over spawners. They could already control spawn radius, apparently, so you could expand how, uh, you know, how broad an area that a mob spawner would activate over. But I think this is another really good step towards making the game more customizable for different game types and challenge maps and custom-made dungeons. I think, too, for people that don't really like PvE, don't like tackling spawners... Um, or maybe just don't find that that good at it. They play Minecraft to uh, to build things, but they don't want to go in peaceful mode because then they don't have any hostile mobs to then farm and get stuff from. Yeah. Um, I think having a, you know a slider in the same way that you've got like you know do bonus chests or not, uh, generate structures or not. Like why not have a easy, medium, hard dungeon slider? You know, like easy being how they are now, uh, medium being like light level changes, maybe radius changes. Uh, and then harder being something else entirely. Um, I'm with you. I don't think that the change is all that challenging. I feel like, especially because depending on how your dungeon generates in the world, like if it's got three walls on it, it's only a seven by seven area, I think. Maybe even yeah. five by five in some cases. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's like, instead of like, book one torch, it's like, book, 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 and you're done. <laughs> so it's like, well, that is not that hard. <laughs> like, yeah. it, depending on how fast you are, uh, and if you really just kind of like, spray and pray with the torches you're gonna lock it down pretty fast it's it's it doesn't really strike me as as all that difficult um i think the difficulty then with the higher spawn uh, light level is um if you are turning it into a mob farm and you want to light it up and be able to turn it on and off then you have to have a lot of light around you have yeah. to figure out how to how to light that in a way uh, that's going to change things so I, I was lighting my spawners um from the ceiling uh, and just basically putting enough redstone lamps in the ceiling with a mesh of redstone above them to turn them on and off um, and just have enough of them around that as the light decays vertically, it gets to the point where the whole spawning area has got a light level of seven or above. Mm-hmm. Um, and as that goes to 11 and above, I mean, you'd have to have basically like a ceiling full of redstone lamps. Yeah. Uh, and and you'd lose the ability to do what I've done, which is change the design by I've got the lights farther away than ideal only because it looks cooler because yeah. my one one spawner is lower than the other so i need i wanted to make the light you know i wanted to make the lights the same height so there's stuff like that that i think uh could be considered we actually have an email about more dungeon spawner stuff later too so um but yeah i i don't nec- i like that it's on their radar i like having you know those options for map makers and stuff but i think that some of these things could be made into sliders for players that that want to have a little bit more granular control over the difficulty level. I think the deal breaker for most people is cave spiders as well. Like running mm-hmm. into a, a mineshaft uh, cave spider spawner and having to light up the area around it so meticulously versus just panic throwing a torch down as close as possible and then sweeping the perimeter for cave spiders. I, I don't know. I, I think it's potentially going to need a bit more testing. Like you said, a, a few customization options would be uh, would be nice. Um, let's get into those emails, though, because we have a whole bunch of stuff. This is a chunk mail dispenser, even though we've talked a lot about the snapshots. So in place of our main discussion, we're going to dig through the mailbag and see what you folks have to say. If you would like to email the show, the email address is spawnchunkmail at gmail.com. Please use that email address. That's the only one that we consider for chunk mail on the podcast. First email comes from Ema, mountain thoughts from a mountain inhabitor. Hi, Pix and Joel. As someone who lives in the Italian part of the Alps, 
I, I'm quite happy that Mojang has decided to update terrain generation. Around here, there are many hills and bumps leading up to the peaks, and the new generation in Minecraft reflects that nicely compared to the old generation where mountains kind of just stuck out of plains biomes. Though my initial thoughts were, what if hills did not generate everywhere, leaving areas where the terrain would just flatten out at different heights, like a biome or a badlands plateau right now? I think that would be a nice addition to break up the more hilly generation. Thank you, Ima, experience kinetic energy while trying to escape a goat. <laughs> the goat will give you some kinetic energy. That's uh, that's how it'll happen. So yeah, I, th I think um, I think that is sort of what they're trying to do with terrain right now. It's, it's, it's difficult because everything is a hill if you have something to compare it to. Mm -hmm. But I was finding as I was exploring a lot of these biomes, especially if I had just spawned in and I didn't get any sense of you know relative to the height i was at where i was i was finding that i assumed a lot of this stuff was at sea level when actually it was maybe 20 or 30 blocks higher and i was spawning in a forest but because i couldn't see the world around me i didn't know that the forest was actually way taller than it normally would have been and so i think there are some aspects of the new terrain generation which do lead to plateaus it's just that it changes elevation soon enough that you realize a lot of this stuff is, you know, variation in height. And so I think it's all a matter of perspective, really. Like if you're, um, you know, if you're leaving areas where the terrain just kind of flattens out, it has to flatten out for as far as the eye can see before you can really accept it as, okay, this is, you know, just a certain elevation off sea level the way more natural terrain in the real world would be. I mean, I agree with, with Ima. I think that this is something missing from the terrain generation, from my experience. I, I When I'm looking for a, a biome uh, or a plains biome to settle in or something flat that I don't have to level out myself, it was difficult. There was not a lot of room. Uh, even in meadows, there's still rolling hills that differ by 10 blocks. Uh, you don't necessarily see more than five or six blocks at the same height level. And so a lot of times I just thought, to myself like this would be a cool place to live but like man you'd have to do a lot of flattening or landscaping or something like if you wanted to build something more than a, a 10 by 10 then you're gonna need to to like landscape somewhere and um i feel like in some places too i've not seen a desert that didn't have mountains and hills in it and i know that deserts are generally flat <laughs> you know like so i feel like there's there's maybe some specific things that they could do to maybe increase um the like the 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 amount of flatter generation maybe like pull that algorithm back a little bit in some places um i like what you said though about having like wandering through a plains biome and go like yeah i'm probably close to sea level and they're like no i'm at 80 what like yeah mm -hmm. how's that happening and then of course you get to the shoreline you're like oh it's a 10 block cliff that's why you know like yeah. that that kind of stuff i think is cool and i like that uh, i just wish there was a little bit more flat kind of happening in, in most places in my experience, it seems to be a matter of the world seed kind of giving you what you want, and, and re-rolling worlds seems like a much more significant thing than it has been in the past. Like, mm -hmm. every time you generate a new world with current world gen, you get more or less the same thing, and I think the only standout examples where it's significantly different are if you spawn on an island in the ocean somewhere, right? And you just have, like, one tree, or, God forbid, none, and you have to swim to the nearest landmass to get wood. Whereas, I think in these experimental snapshots, every single world seed I've generated has felt significantly different from all of the previous ones. 
And so I think a lot of it is going to be about selecting where you want to start out or if you're happier just generating a world and hoping that you're going to stumble upon a more, you know, preferable area to start your base. I think there are going to be some areas that appeal to everybody. Tracking them down is going to be the harder part. And I also wonder, in a way, how this is going to affect overviewing map tools and, you know, the amidsts and chunk bases of the world where a lot of what people expect from those is an idea of what biomes to find, but they have an idea in their head of what that biome is going to look like when they get there. And so it's going to be much more about exploring the world and finding, you know, do I want a plains biome that is at sea level or do I want one that's at Y100, you know, and, and right. the, the type of scenery that is nearby is going to be much more important to players after this update than just I need this specific biome to live in. Because not knowing what that biome is going to look like when you get there changes the stakes for people. Uh, let's move on to the next email though thinking of meadow biomes actually this one comes in from read writ and the subject is improving the meadow biome hey johnny and pix uh <laughs> i'm pretty sure both of those are me the other one is joel but thank you for the email uh i'm really enjoying the podcast love to listen to it while i was working in my garden i was checking out the new meadow biome and thought it was missing something what if the meadow biome had a lot of azalea trees planted like a forest i think this would be good as it would make the meadow biome nice and lush there could also be a lush cave under a meadow biome since it will be covered in azalea trees i would love to hear your thoughts read rich suffocated in a wall while planting an azalea tree in a meadow biome <laughs> there's an agenda in this email joel can you tell i yeah um i'm not sure where the wall came from in the meadow that'd be <laughs> suffocating in your own wall i'm not sure how mm -hmm. that works uh i uh i think with the amount of meadow biomes that i've seen this would make lush caves far too frequent which was yeah, i think uh -huh. something we mentioned about experimental snapshot one as well um and i think the idea behind the single azalea tree is that it's supposed to be just on its own special uh and not have an entire forest of them i think that also invites the player if you really like them then you can make your own forest of them um i think it's supposed to act more like a flag for a lush cave underground rather than having an entire biome of yeah. them and then wondering which one leads you to a lush cave uh, I think it's supposed to be more of a of a lone kind of tree in the woods experience. Um, I do like how meadow biomes have big patches of similar color flowers, though. Uh, I'm not sure if you've noticed this, but rather than flower forests that tend to have more of a splatter of different colors, uh, meadows biomes will go on for like 50, 60 blocks of just poppies. And yeah. then it'll switch to like just allium. And it it really is cool. It looks different. It still looks believable and fun and colorful and there's grass of course you know scattered around um but i i don't necessarily think that trees would work because there's no trees in meadows in real life either at least not in a true meadow um they might they might border it if but. i google image search meadow it comes up with a lot of very open flowery fields and there's some mm -hmm. trees like lining the background and i think what they've done to add occasional oak or birch trees into meadows now with the bee nests in it is is a good change but i i think of meadows as a much more open landscape i feel like if you add a bunch of azalea trees in it then you're just making an azalea forest biome which feels yeah. like it should be something slightly different there's a tree that i'm trying to remember the name of i think it's an aspen anyway it, it looks like a birch tree but essentially if you run into like a little aspen grove it's actually all one plant they're all connected underground i think it's, it's correct me if i'm wrong people but i'm pretty sure that's what it was and that's what the 
lone birch tree in the meadows reminds me of is like mm-hmm. uh, being in Utah and hiking through an aspen forest and coming out into a meadow. <laughs> like it was a very unique experience and it looks very similar in Minecraft. Um, I think that uh, you could go a little bit extra uh, on the ground with there could be more grass uh, instead of trees, maybe having in like the leaf blocks generating directly on the ground could could help make meadows feel more lush you know in some places like having like bushes and thicker kind of undergrowth um think about how dense the floor of a lush cave is right and if you had that happening in mountain meadows that that would look really cool Mm -hmm. Um, more grass i think that probably is maybe a technical decision like they just don't want that many things sitting on top of all the blocks uh, yeah in terms of you know geometry in, in minecraft and i and i get that um, if you want some inspiration or some ideas of what I'm thinking of, uh, oh, the biomes you'll go and Terrestria are two of the quick searches that I could find from my um, recent memory of playing all of Fabric 3 back in like 116, I think, 116.5. And some of the biomes there uh, I found in particular very lush, really interesting kind of like rolling meadows. And I don't think the, the the pages have the exact one that I remember, but there's one that had a lot of like uh, cobblestone generated on the surface. So it looked like it had rocks, but then it, it almost all of the grass was too tall grass. And so walking through it really felt like overgrowth. And there was a couple of different flowers that they brought in and just, it really felt like a really cool, uh, lush experience in, in these biome mods that I was playing in all of fabric three a little while ago. So check that out. If you want to see what, you know, a, um, a meadow could potentially look like, or, you know, be inspired to, you know, create your own. Yeah. Oh, the biomes you go has a meadow biome example image on the, the curse forge, which looks quite similar to what we'd find in the, new experimental snapshots but like you said there there are those occasional bushes almost like the ones that generate on the floor of a jungle um that have yes. just one oak log or something and a, a few leaves dotted around it makes for kind of nice almost like um like uh heathland in uh the uk there's just kind of like maybe a couple of gorse bushes around or some heather or something and yep. that uh you know adds a bit of variety to the landscape so that that could be a uh, a nice subtle change to meadows without you know, turning them into an entire forest. Moving on to the next email from Launched Into Orbit, debugging light level. Hi guys, once I heard that Mojang was changing the spawning rules, I couldn't wait for episode 150 to hear your thoughts on it. Now, with the experimental snapshots out and hands-on, I think it would be very helpful to have a debug option for light, similar to turning on hitboxes or chunk borders, something that would show which blocks are in total darkness. For example, blocks that have a light level of zero would be highlighted in red, where everyone, uh, everywhere that is properly spawn-proofed would appear green. We can already check the light level of the block one at a time on the F3 screen, so I don't think this feature would be too much of a stretch. I'd love to hear your thoughts, and thank you for a high-quality podcast launched into orbit. Couldn't MLG. <laughs> I guess not. Um, have have fun practicing that, though, because you'll need it a lot in the this much more vertical landscape that we find ourselves in. Um, as far as debug stuff goes, I always wonder about the the nature of applying debug options to solve problems like this for players, because players in terms of like gameplay stuff shouldn't necessarily be relying on the debug info for all of that stuff in the first place. I think that, that was one of the things King B-Dog said on Twitter that we covered previously was, you know, if you have to 
press F3 to check whether or not something is a spawnable block. That's not good gameplay. And I feel like having an overlay in the same way we have one for hitboxes and chunk borders in the debug options still doesn't quite cut the mustard for me. I, I feel like in, in terms of gameplay, it breaks my immersion a little bit. But, um, you know, maybe that's what some people want for a, for a more technical side of things. In the meantime, though, I think there are data packs and mods that do pretty similar stuff that I think are a good compromise between the developers providing stuff like that for us because it is assumed that we will need it versus the community creating tools that we see as necessary that aren't provided by the developers. Yeah, as much as I like the idea because I've been using the F3 screen so much in the, the zombie farm on the Citadel, um, it, it, the F3 screen feels like more of a disconnect than turning on hitboxes or chunk borders. Uh, chunk borders I will notice because I find it, you know, kind of visually odd. But uh, I turned on hitboxes uh, the other day to check to see whether the spiders could see me through a trapdoor and all that kind of stuff. Uh, just kind of see where their eyeline was. And I then played for another 10 minutes and forgot to turn off hitboxes because like it's just mm -hmm. it's, it's not nearly as obtrusive as the F3 screen. Um, and I got to thinking, like, I wonder if there would be a data pack that would be possible. And sure enough, I uh, got a couple of links in the show notes this week to light level detector on CurseForge and light checker on Planet Minecraft. Now, light checker is actually a texture pack, not a data pack. Um, the problem I find, and I don't want to throw necessarily shade at the people that are smart enough to design these data packs, but the visual way that these things are communicated is not the most attractive thing in the world. Uh, mm -hmm. You're dealing with what looks like redstone dots of green and red on the ground. Uh, so very much meant for like, you know, check technical stuff. Um, and uh, I, I feel like it could be maybe better implemented. Um, a way that I would think would be a neat way to do it in game without working, worrying about other things, seeing as we have some very cool new blocks uh, that are used for something for our eyeballs already. If you were creating copper goggles instead of a spyglass, then maybe when you put amethyst um, crystals and copper together, and when you put those goggles on, you can see where light level would be spawnable or not. Mm -hmm. And then you can just take the goggles off. Uh, you have yeah. to sacrifice an inventory spot to carry them around. You know, like I, I, that could be that could be kind of cool. And it could, I mean, I also kind of want just goggles in the game. <laughs> yeah, um, maybe it's like a helmet slot kind of yeah. accessory instead of it being a uh, you know a. a uh hotbar slot or something like that i i think that seems like a a fun way of approaching it i think it's difficult to find solutions that feel like they are part of the world when the application of them is this technical you mm -hmm. know um and, but i think that there can potentially be a a good solution between the two i think the problem with solutions like that now especially with them changing the spawning rules for natural mob spawns versus spawner mob spawns is how you account for that you know if if you're wearing a goggle that says yeah it should be totally spawn proofed around here but that doesn't account for the fact that there's a spawner nearby and the light level is high but mobs are still spawning then you know that creates a bit of a a distrust of that feature in terms of you know the average player so yeah it, it's it's an interesting conundrum i don't know if anyone has quite cracked it yet but i think the lighting changes are still a step in the right direction i still think okay, this looks dark, therefore it will probably spawn mobs, makes a lot more sense than there being this kind of gradient between light and dark and the mobs start spawning halfway. 
so yeah, we, we'll we'll probably spend a bit more time in the experimental snapshots, especially if they keep releasing them and iterating on them. And if the light spawning rules stay around, I'll be interested to hear from people who might still have this problem. And if just having enough light around isn't quite enough for people who want to have really specific light levels in certain areas. But uh, yeah, interested to see what solutions come up in future. Um, our last email today, we are going to cover a couple more in the render distance, which are from our patrons, so the patrons will be able to listen in. Uh, but our last email today comes from Lee the Lima, and the subject, aptly enough, is Harder Dungeons. Dear Pix and Joel, recently in Experimental Snapshot 2, Mojang made dungeons harder by increasing how bright it has to be to prevent from spawning. I think another way to add more variety to dungeons would be to add two or three different new kinds of dungeons. For example, there could be a frozen dungeon made out of ice and snow that would spawn strays and maybe have powder snow traps. Or there could be a jungle dungeon that would spawn jungle zombies or mossy skeletons from Minecraft dungeons. For chest loot, there could be biome-appropriate rewards. For the frozen dungeons, you could get some powder snow buckets or maybe blue ice. In a jungle dungeon, you could end up with moss or other lush cave blocks. We'd love to hear what you think. Lee the Lima was slain by a ravager in a wheat field. <laughs> this is... I'm starting to think this needs to be a Minecraft version of Clue. It needs to be like a Cluedo style. You know, it was, it was a ravager in the wheat field with the tusks. <laughs> Right, yeah, uh, and and who who led the ravager to the wheat field? I wonder. <laughs> yes. Do we know? Do we know who that could be? Uh, I think adding different mobs for a spawner is a better way to make them more challenging than just changing the spawning light level requirements. Mm -hmm. uh, maybe just make some hefty mobs. Like it might be an opportunity to, to expand the mob list in Minecraft, like hulking zombies or mossy skeletons, like uh, Lee the Lemur mentioned. Uh, I'm thinking of like how piglin brutes are hanging out in uh, bastions, right? And yeah. they, mm -hmm. they're a lot tougher to deal with than your average piglin. And they only exist in the bastions. They're not wandering around in the nether, you know, like, like other piglins are. And uh, doing something like that could be one, bring something cool and new to Minecraft. Two, just uh, make it more challenging for people. Um, I was originally thinking of expanding the radius, but I didn't realize that, that was already a setting that could be tweaked. Um, and I also like the idea of powder snow in a nice dungeon chest uh, because of how tedious powder snow currently is to get. But mm -hmm. again, that might be all for not with um, 118 when you're going to have powder snow generating naturally in the world. Right now, collecting with cauldrons, just from what I've seen, it just it's, it seems really tedious. Um, but I like the idea of having slightly more um, just alternate ways to get uh, blocks like that and and little treats like that in spawners and i i like the idea of theme spawners like every spawner that i run into it's got mossy cobble and cobblestone surrounding it and it would be really cool if you're going through one of these new lofty peak biomes or mountain biomes and then instead of cobblestone and mossy cobble which would make no sense in a frozen tundra uh if you ran into a bunch of like ice and blue ice or packed ice or something and you're like this isn't supposed to be in the mountain and then you realize that you're coming into like a, a stray spawner or something yeah, I, I think the my favorite approach I've seen to spawners and dungeons comes from the world of modded Minecraft again, um, from roguelike dungeons, or uh, more recently Dungeon Crawl, because I think roguelike dungeons was kind of discontinued as of 1.12. Um, dungeon Crawl effectively generates procedural underground dungeons which are 
like large structures almost like a stronghold where like the layout and the uh the loot you get and stuff are kind of random but they have a lot of spawners in different rooms uh and obviously that can be kind of overpowered when it comes to making spawner farms but i think a smart thing to do is just to space them out far enough that players can't activate them all at once or potentially you know just redesign things a certain way so that things center on a spawner and maybe since spawner radius can be customized you can have mobs spawn from further out so to disable the dungeon you have to get further into the structure in order to find the spawner and switch it off even with changes to to mob spawning and light level um yeah i i think there is an opportunity for dungeons to become much more thematic and much more interesting as a result so i think this is the foundation of a really solid idea and i would not be surprised if in the next couple of updates we do get an update to some of the more old school generated structures and we've talked about this in the past you know jungle temples or desert temples getting updates or variants or something and i think dungeons are pretty high on that list because now the landscape of the underground is changing so much i think there is an opportunity for more structures to generate underground to meet them uh, mm-hmm. That's pretty much all I have for, for this email, but thank you so much for the email. Really appreciate the uh, the ideas, Lee the Lima. Uh, speaking of appreciating ideas, uh, before we wrap things up, I do want to give a thanks and shout out to Green Ninja 5 for the email reply regarding automatic amethyst shard farming. Uh, it was a, a redstone heavy email. Uh, doesn't translate to podcasting very well. However, I'm still going to include the email in our show notes along with the screenshots that Green Ninja 5 included. So for anybody that's looking for a way to automatically harvest amethysts with a counter and a, a harvesting mechanism and a reset thing like it was a very in-depth email and i really appreciate it so i'll share that in the show notes so for people that are interested you can go and read that at the this week awesome stuff well that's going to be it for this episode of the spawn chunks you can find more information about the show and links to some of the stuff we've talked about including this week's emails at the the music for the show was composed by me and the spawn chunks is proud to be a listener supported podcast if you're getting some value out of the show please consider putting some value back in by visiting patreon.com slash the you can join our community join the discord listen to the show live each week pledging at any level gets you all of that and more and it also gets us closer to our next milestone goal which is still a monthly minecraft audio hangout where we do our quick login like we do at the top of the show but with everybody in the community talking about what they've been doing in minecraft that month we're currently at 266 patrons which has jumped up five from last week thank you so much to everybody who has just got on board at this roaring train of a podcast and special thanks go out to our content engineers general pattern 82 hunter 555 jumbo sale magma cube dude and yitz for your support on this episode speaking of the roaring train of a podcast uh we've had this stat in our cap for a couple weeks and i honestly keep on forgetting to share it uh but i want to say thanks to all the listeners out there because we have surpassed one million downloads and i just i'm excited about it. it's the first time i've ever been involved with anything that's had that many downloads uh so i i'm thrilled i hope you're thrilled to listen thanks for being part of the community thanks for listening to the show every week it absolutely is a thrill uh as a podcaster to have that kind of number show up on on the download tracker so thank you very very much uh, spreading the word about the podcast is the best way to head toward the next million uh you can do that by going to the spawn chunks on twitter or instagram or of course Uh, recommending the show in person to a friend by poking them in the arm from a safe distance. Uh, You can subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and YouTube. And of course, you can email the show at spawnchunkmail at gmail.com. 
the RSS feed is linked on the spawnchunks.com and the Patreon-only RSS feed is linked on the Patreon page. That's where you can listen to the Render Distance, the extended version of the podcast. My name is Johnny, but online I go by Pixorifs. You can find most of what I do at youtube.com slash where I'm currently the king of copper on the Empire's SMP. I'm carefully exploring in the Hardcore Survival Guide. I'm reflecting on Minecraft RTX, and I'm also dipping into the snapshots when they happen. I stream three days a week on Twitch as well, doing behind-the-scenes work for my YouTube series. That's at twitch.tv slash I'm also the voice of the unofficial Hermitcraft recap, which you can find through a quick YouTube search. And aside from that, I'm at Pixorifs on both Twitter and Instagram. Joel, where can people find you online? Everything I am up to online, including my illustration and design portfolio, is at joelduggan.com. You can listen to my other podcast, thecitadelcafe.com, about sci-fi and fantasy entertainment. This week, we're going to be talking about Masters of the Universe Revelation. You can follow me at Joel Duggan on social media and, of course, Joel Duggan on Twitch, where I am playing the snapshots from time to time, working on a massive farm on the Citadel, and hopefully hitting some online art this week. Thanks for visiting the Spawn Chunks. The world outside is infinite. Just be careful around the spawners. Mm -hmm.